Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. What's up, everyone? You're joining us for a very special episode of Half Street High Heat. You guys can follow the show on Twitter at Half ST High Heat. You can also find us on YouTube under the same name. Why is it such a special episode? Because we're joined by the one and only Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter if you do not yet at Doherty underscore Jesse. And you can find them in print and online at the Washington Post in the sports section. Jesse, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Good guys. Uh, appreciate having me. Absolutely. It's always good to have you on talk. Some things Nats, you know, we got a little bit of news cause there's not much going on with the lockout. That's probably never going to end, but we'll get there in a little bit. The biggest news for the nationals this off season was uh, they signed Christian Vaquero out of the Dominican Republic and in the international signings. He is a consensus top two international prospect this was a pretty big get for the Nats, and they paid. They paid around $4.5 million. That's a club record for the international bonus. And what makes him so special? Like, Why were the Nats so confident that giving him that club record signing bonus was the right thing to do? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think part of it is that we, we won't know for a while, right? And that's kind of just the reality of these things. Like, I think – he gets the five tool label a lot, which is sort of a buzzword for any top prospect. And uh, he switch, he's a switch hitter. Seems like he can maybe stick in center field, giving his speed to maybe go to the corners because he's more of a power guy. Um, but but to me, like, there's I feel like there's two ways, two sort of distinct ways you can go about the international signing period. And in the last two years, we've seen the Nationals uh, spend a lot of money at the top. Uh, you know, t- two two periods ago now it was Armando Cruz. This year it was. 
Christian Vaccaro. And uh, for me, like that, that obviously signifies that they have a lot of confidence in that one player because they're using a bulk of their bonus pool money on him. Whereas a team like the Orioles um, is sort of on the up opposite end of the spectrum where they signed 24 prospects compared to the Nationals 10. And given the high variance of your national prospects and teenagers and all these sort of factors, they're going to sort of, it's like they're flipping more coins, right? Like if we, if we consider all this a, a coin flip, uh, they're going to flip a bunch more and see if they can hit on some of these guys. Whereas the nationals are hoping like their coin is like weighted, so to speak, like it's more <laughs> has a better chance of going heads or tails mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. they have, like, maybe more data or more belief that this guy uh, in this case, Vaccaro last year, Cruz is going to click. So I think like you see now sort of a trend in like kind of going for broke. I mean, it's obviously not the first time the nationals have done this. Yasa Altuna, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, Luis Garcia, like there's a long list, Andrew Lara too, to some extent. So uh, I, I do think like it just shows a distinct strategy here that, that is a bit different from other organizations. And you obviously trust those scouts down there to make that big swing rather than like taking a bunch of little cuts. Yeah, and we definitely want to ask you about the scouts and player development, but I wanted to talk about another international signing um, that, you know, got the buzz of Nat's Twitter and technically not a signing yet, but it is a verbal commitment. Elian Soto, obviously that last name is going to turn everyone's heads around baseball, not just, uh, you know, amongst Nat's fans. Uh committed to the Mets and then kind of decommitted like he's, you know, a college recruit or something and then verbally committed with the Nats can't sign till next year. But I mean, who knows, there might be a draft next year as opposed to just international signing. Can you provide any insight on kind of what happened there? I assume Juan Soto played a part in, you know, wanting his brother within the organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, from what I know, Juan definitely was pushing for it. And I think the nationals are generally inclined to listen when you're uh, sure. playing or uh, once something happened, I, I do think like not to um, not to disparage what anyone was doing around that time. I, I thought maybe the news cycle for it was a little bit premature um, just because like, while I'm sure like, Elion has a verbal agreement with the Nats as all these very fine reporters have put out there, like, as you mentioned, like there's a lot of caveats here, right? Like he now has as much of a deal with the Nats as he did with the Mets before he flipped his commitment, so to speak. Um, and also there is a chance with the new CBA that the entire international free agency is moved to a draft and this is all sort of moot. So uh, I think like it's all moving in the direction that if things stay the same, if all things are equal, if nothing changes, um, then Elian will you know, be with the Nationals. Uh, it's probably a bit nihilistic to be like, but will the world even be the same right in a year or whatever? Uh, but like, you know, I, I do think like it was sort of an odd story born of like, you know, the, the time of year, maybe the fact that there's a lockout, there's not a lot to report on and talk about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from all I know, and, and all, like I said, everyone that's reported on this has said too, that uh, he does have sort of a handshake agreement with the Nationals and uh, as of now is trending toward joining the organization, which is cool. I mean, it's fun, right? Like if nothing else, uh, covering Soto's younger brother, who I'm sure will want to shake that label at some point, but will always be followed by it, um, is a fun thing for me as a writer and fans to follow too. So it's, a, it's definitely a cool thing. And not tampering at all by the Nats or the Mets with Soto's younger brother. Um, one of the things that the Nationals are also doing is they have 14 new, role, new roles and 20 new staff members within their player development program. Yeah. We've seen, you know, some issues with the Nats player development, not to point names, but there's been some guys that may be losing the roster spots in center field and third base have not lived up to their potential. Most notably what all went into the nationals finally deciding that they're going to boost up all of these new positions in their minor leagues with player development. And what can we expect from all of these hires? 
I just pictured that like a game of Clue or something. It's like Victor Robles in center field with the glove, you know. In your- <laughs> <laughs> um, I think so. To me, like obviously, it's sort of like these international prospects, right? Like we're we're in the mode now in Nationals world of always talking about the future, and and for these international for these player development hires, uh, I think it's like you know we'll check back in five years, right, and see what the effect is of this new reshaping. I think I think for any for most you know the most important thing is that it's a foundation that wasn't there. And I think the Nationals had the basic positions. In some cases, they didn't even have that going last year without a catching coordinator, uh, no video staffers full-time. So they were, whatever they did have was basic. And now they've added some positions that are a bit more cutting edge that are probably still a full cycle or two behind what the rest, what most of the league is doing, but at least positions them now to build off of that. Right. So like a perfect example for me is, they hired a this guy, David Longley, who's going to be their player development technology and strategy director. And that is a position that most progressive organizations or all progressive organizations and most organizations across baseball have already employed. And in the more progressive organizations, David Longley is the head of a team of five or six, you know, whatever, seven, eight, you know, so for some organizations, 10 people that uh, that do these things, right, that work with data, that work with technology, that, you know work on special projects or pitch development or pitch shape, all these things. So the nationals now are starting with one. And while that's great, and because they started with zero and one's more than zero, it's it's only a beginning. Whereas now maybe in future off seasons, when more additions happen, when they when they look at themselves end of the year and say, where do we need to improve? Maybe someone like David Longley, should he still be in the position, gets two people under him, right? And then maybe a nutritionist, they hired Emily Cayley from the New York Mets. Like, Maybe she gets an assistant nutritionist and, uh, and and so on and so forth. So I think the fact that the Nationals are laying down the foundation is a good thing while also recognizing that they're really delayed in doing so. Um, but you have to start somewhere. So the, the fact that they were the smallest player development staff in the league last year, that they lacked a lot of these basic positions, that they've also added sort of more traditional roles to help out with the workload, whether it's an extra athletic trainer, whether it's a mental skills coach, whether it's a a development coach at each affiliate, which is sort of like a pseudo bench coach. Maybe it's a bit more specialized. Um, those things are really good too. Uh, but I think, you know, the way I sort of look at it and the way I parse it out is that now the base is there where the base wasn't there before. And it actually just gives a better jumping off point than existed. And that's, I don't want to maybe make it more than that, but that is also a, a big thing. If that all makes sense. Like it's a little bit of word salad. But. Yeah. I mean, it, it's important that they're finally laying the base. Like you said, they had no full-time, video equipment recorders or um, whichever the position name was, but that's kind of wild to me. And one of the other things that the Nats have been kind of lacking in, which the rest of the league is starting to fully dive into is analytics. Are any of these moves going to help bolster the Nats analytical program, especially since we're seeing so much of the league be driven by analytics and a lot of these quote unquote smart franchises are basically driven by analytics, will these moves help lay that foundation so the Nats analytical program can improve? Yeah, I think Longley will. I think, you know, you, you hear technology, maybe you think Repsoto video, uh, all those things, TrackMan, but I think his a part of his role will also be player reports, dealing with, dealing with data, um, you know, using some of the cutting edge trends to influence sort of how players are taught from a fundamental level. Uh, that's, I think he's going to do that. I know Sam Naren, who's a new pitching coordinator, who was the double A pitching coordinator last year. Uh, people have told me that he's, he's really good with data and, and he is a holdover. He's an internal sort of, um, hire or move, so to speak. But, um, I, I do think he maybe doesn't fit the, 
quite the mold that we're used to with the Nationals uh, in the sense that he has a good blend of sort of old school baseball. Um, I say that sort of with an eye roll because it's it's just kind of just taken on a life of its own, but and um, an old school baseball, but also sort of is good with the sort of new technology and, and ways in which pitching is being taught. Um, you know, Joe Dillon's the new hitting coordinator. He was on the Nats staff in 2019 and before with Kevin Long. He goes to the Phillies last year and is the hitting coach, you know, for two seasons. And like, I know they, you know, for example, like they have an analytics person in their, in their, in their clubhouse. So he's been maybe exposed to that more than he would have been with the Nationals who didn't necessarily have that hands-on person actually directly in the clubhouse day to day. So small things like that. And again, like, it's not as, it's probably not, I mean, I will say like, it's not where it needs to be. It's not, you know, it's not all the way there. It's not like the, the teams you've mentioned sort of as the smart orgs that, um, you know, whether it's the Yankees or the, or the Dodgers or the Rays or the Astros. And I, and I think it's like, you know, it's, you don't want to typecast them all as being, you know, the, the only ones that are doing things well either, because there are good minor league systems in the league that are not necessarily, you know, tabbed as that sort of smart brainy organization. But like, if you think of that list, like they're, they're putting out prospects all the time and they're putting together major trade packages for great players. And like, it's hard to argue with the results there. And then you look at their staff list and it's, you know, like you said, it's, you know, it's director of data, it's director of pitching projects. It's, it's uh, you know, um, special performance coordinator, it's bio, biomechanics. And um, to some degree, or maybe are those, are those superfluous titles or um, do you need 10 of them rather than, you know, five or five rather than three? Like you could argue that there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but, but, but you should have some cooks there, right? So the Nationals are, again, starting out that way and inching into it, but there's a lot of work to be done still. And uh, whether it becomes actually organizational philosophy too is a whole other thing, which means that the sort of holdover regime, the people still in charge need to enable these people in order to actually like put their expertise and their viewpoints to work. Yeah, uh, that makes perfect sense. And uh, another area that that's definitely need to hit on, especially the current state of the team post, uh, you know, this past trade deadline is the MLB draft. Uh, They have some, you know, seemingly promising prospects, but others going the opposite direction. I want to talk about Seth Romero. Obviously last week he got charged uh, in Texas with the DWI. This is not kind of his first, um, character issue i guess he had a spotty track record at houston was suspended and then uh, i believe in spring training one year he got sent home uh don't remember the exact story but obviously this one is the the largest offense so to speak of the bunch i know there's a lockout so the Nats can only do so much i don't even know if they can really do anything right now but what is his future like with the organization as a whole because it's not necessarily an isolated incident yeah i, I mean i think I don't know. I, I don't know for certain. Um, it's worth noting that like team officials are not allowed to comment on players specifically during the lockout and um, have sort of stuck to that too, as in terms of side conversations as well. I, I mean, a lot of people have been pretty mum, not right. just on Seth Romero, but on, on multiple players. And that's at least been my experience as a reporter during this. And I will say like, uh, as far as like how many strikes do you get, right? Like mm-hmm. it's hard to say. Um, we don't know all the details yet. I'm personally still waiting on the arrest report. Um, from Brazoria County, Texas, but in the past, Seth's trans- transgressions have been team, you know, violations, violation of rules, team conduct, uh, you know, all that sort. I think when you start breaking the law, it adds a whole layer to things. So that's I mean, maybe read between the lines of what I'm saying is like I, I think it it could be more consequential for him than maybe in the past, where slap on the wrist, suspensions, whatever it may be, rather than um, you know being DFA'd or released. And, you know, I mean, I, I think it's worth saying, and, and I don't know all the details myself either, but just, you know, as a general sort of 
um, overarching point. Like I, I hope if you know there, there is some, you know, if he's acting out in a certain way or um, using substances in the way that he shouldn't be, like I hope there's also help for him somewhere, whether it's with the Nationals or elsewhere, that you know he gets that and uh, and can sort of get himself on track because obviously he was a player with high potential. He, he still is, and uh, you know it's you don't want to see anyone. Um, not have the resources or uh, not feel like they can sort of uh, maximize their potential in anything. Um, but again, like, I think when it comes to breaking the law versus just team rules, um, we're talking about two different things and that, that could um, affect how the nationals deal with it for sure. Yeah. And switching gears a little bit, we saw before the lockout, well, the impending lockout at the time, the nationals were pretty quiet. Um, they did sign uh, Cesar Hernandez in the final days before the lockout. What was the Nats' approach going into the lockout? Were they taking more of a let's see what happens with the collective bargaining and everything during the lockout? And what can we expect for them when the lockout finally ends, if the lockout ever officially ends? Yeah, right. Um, I think we'll. I think it will be pretty similar to what we saw pre-lockout, and that's probably disappointing for people to hear. But and, and I understand that because. Obviously, people invest emotionally and financially in this team. They want to see it win, try, um, push for a division title like it does in most seasons. But the reality is Nationals sort of, when they started the rebuild in July, I don't think they saw a path to winning this year. If they did, they wouldn't have traded Trey Turner. And now that they are not sort of acting as if that's the goal, so to speak, I think the goal is net more to look toward the future, um, develop the system, uh, see what you have. And some guys who are either on the cusp of the major leagues or have been shaky, we mentioned earlier, in passing, uh, Robles and Kibum, Garcia, um, sort of some of the younger guys, Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, um, maybe the, you know, they're, they're, that's, a, that's a wide age range, but the point is like, there's maybe some fringy players that either are going to be part of the next core or not. And this is a good year to test them. And it's hard to go into a 162 game season as a test or as a, you know, practice period. And I, and I certainly feel that it's the nature of professional athletes. Nationals will be trying to win every game in a sort of literal sense, but in terms of team building, I don't think we'll see what we usually do, which is if there's a hole or there's an uncertainty on the roster, Mike Rizzo and his staff have been known to fill it, right? It's, there hasn't been a lot of off seasons where, you know, they needed a left fielder, they needed a starting pitcher, they needed two relievers, they needed a, ca a catcher and a backup, and then they did it. You know, they went out and got everything or checked, checked every box. And I think last off season was a great example of that, where every hole was filled by late January. Um, it was Avila and Lester and Brad Hand and Kyle Schwarber, and it was a lot of one-year deals, but uh, it, you know, it, it filled every box that was needed to be checked rather than saving that money or allocating it to one big player. It was more of a, I don't want to call it paint by numbers because that makes it sound like it's, you know, really rudimentary, but it's, it's more of a basic team building philosophy rather than trying to maybe take a big swing on like a marginal player or try and sort of rehabilitate someone who, uh, maybe has struggled and, and you see some potential in which we see some organizations do really well. So uh, it's, I don't think that's going to be the case this offseason. I think we saw Hernandez for the infield. Um, I'll see Escobar will be back either as a starter or a reserve. Uh, I could see an addition in the bullpen or the rotation, especially if it's someone that they could see either on a one-year, two-year contract and be flippable at the next deadline to get more prospects. But I think one thing like Rizzo said that really resonated with me was that they don't want to start adding major pieces until they know what they have here, right? So like, for example, um, the counterpoint would obviously be like, maybe it's not much anyways, you should just add what you can now and, and maximize the market and whatever is out there. But like, you know, if, if Luis Garcia comes out this year and is, you know, a really good player and uh, proves to be a everyday major league, you know, second baseman or 
um, shortstop, which maybe seems a bit more precarious given the defensive issues last year, but let's say, you know, middle, middle infielder, then when you're thinking about free agency, like you don't want to give a five-year deal to a middle infielder, you can give that money to another starting pitcher or a reliever or um, a corner outfielder, you know, same goes for Victor Robles too, right? Like he has a chance to prove himself this year. He flops again. Now you're thinking, okay, center field is a, is a position we need when establishing our next core. And then the same goes for Kay Cavalli coming up, you know, how many pitchers do you need? Does he, does he fit the mold? Is, is Josiah Gray, does, is he an ace? Um, there's a lot of different things. Can, can Riley Adams be your backup catcher? I think, I think this year is really fascinating from that standpoint is that it will influence the next steps of the rebuild and who actually is starting to target in the next free agent class when the Nationals do decide to build. It's just a matter of how long that will take. And um, <laughs> all wrapped up in all of that, I know I'm rambling here, is like, is it responsible to have the, maybe arguably the best hitter in baseball on your roster and not trying to win every season? You could argue no. So uh, if you want to make that argument, um, yeah, I, would, I would listen to it and I would believe some of it, right? Um, but I think uh, those are sort of all the factors at play. Yeah, I'll make that argument. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I texted Nick Boo when you said the Nats are probably going to take it pretty quiet the rest of the offseason. Yeah, I, I know. It's tough. it's tough. Yeah. I, I like to see him get like one more one more guy in there as a little building block, but I also don't blame them in taking it slow. But you started touching on the infill guys. They got Hernandez, Escobar, Garcia, Kibum. Those are four guys for three positions. Who's going to be the odd man out? Are they going to do a bunch of just rotating or is Escobar going to step back and be more of a utility off the bench kind of guy? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to like, so like my least favorite words of a report, the reporter can say, I'm about to say what I would do because <laughs> it's like, it feels like armchair managing and who cares what I would do, right? It's more a matter of what the Nationals will do. But because we haven't been able to talk to, you know, the front office a ton or the coaches a ton, which we usually would about the plans for them, you have to kind of, you know, project a bit or, or, or do some sort of educated guessing. And and so what I would do, again, hate those words, but what I would do is play Kibum at third, Garcia at shortstop, and Hernandez at second most days and have Escobar sort of a roving extra man. The reason for that is, one, I just think Hernandez is just more talented than Escobar day to day. I think he had a really good stretch, um, a solid stretch, you know, after coming over to the Nationals in July. But I think, you know, he's at his age and the fact that he was out of baseball for or professional or major league baseball for a few years. Uh, that's sort of the writing on the wall that he's, he's in a stage of his career that I don't think he's an everyday player. And uh, to me, like I would test Garcia at shortstop. Like he had a lot of errors in Rochester last year. Probably profiles best as a second baseman, but you may as well know if you have a shortstop there, because let, let's say I mean, he comes out this year and he's a really good spring training and, and he, you know, he's really solid there in the field. Like that's a, that's an important building block, whether, whether he's a future trade chip for a great, you know, another great player or, or he is you know, the guy for you at that position. Um, whether it might again, enable you to spend money elsewhere, a really big bat at third base or at second base or whatever it may be in the corner outfield, you know, all those things. So I would at least see shortstop being such a marquee position. If you have it, Hernandez his his natural position is second base. It's where he plays best. And, and Carter, I think similarly, like is going to be out of chances soon and has, has really struggled at the major league level for the most part, but you may as well see one more time with when the stakes are low, uh, if you have something there, whether he can stick it third. So I think Escobar being the one that sort of gives you the least upside, both on a competitive standpoint day to day, and also for your future in the rebuild, I don't see really see much of a point of playing him, um, you know, four or five times a week when you, when you could play those two younger guys, test them and have Hernandez who just is all around more effective player at this point at second, that would be, that would be hard. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I mean, if they're not going to go 
crazy or make any major splashes uh, the rest of free agency once the lockout ends then it makes sense to just kind of you know you might as well see what you have in the young guys so it makes sense to make Garcia kind of the um I guess centerpiece of the infield but I want to go to the other centerpiece the you know most proven of the infield guys and that's obviously Josh Bell um there's yeah. been some chatter uh, recently I, I don't know where it's I know I saw it on the MLB trade rumors um you know article I don't know who, who or where it came from what is Josh Bell's future in DC looking like because you know it halfway through maybe two-thirds of the way through last year everyone's like extension extension extend Josh Bell I know I'm definitely in that camp I'm sure Ryan's in that camp as well but now if they're not making moves and Josh Bell's on an expiring deal like are they going to extend him or is he a candidate to be traded at the deadline if say like Riley Adams emerges as a capable first baseman yeah I mean I think it's a really good question like Josh Bell to me is super interesting because he kind of like feels like a bellwether for the whole rebuild in a way. Like if you trade him this July, it's going to be longer than we thought. And if they don't and discuss extension with him, it's going to maybe be shorter than we thought. So I think like he occupies that position given his, given the fact that he only has one more year of team control, he occupies this spot in his career and that like I think could give us a really strong indication of like what the next steps are going to look like. And that's to me, like makes him immensely interesting in this coming season. So like I was probably in the camp that you're in. I mean, I think you need to field a good baseball team no matter what, like I, I, and that's like, this is more like theoretical and philosophical than maybe you're asking, but like, I think it's like every team's like duty to like field a, like a, at least a competent baseball team at right. the, like as a baseline, like you don't, have to, you don't have to be like, competing for a championship every year like not it doesn't make sense every season for every team to go all in I mean I wish it did it should and that's a whole other discussion but like I think like Josh like signing Josh Bell for three years like to like have him be your first baseman through the rebuild and maybe maybe the rebuild accelerates and and you like you get lucky on some people and a prospect accelerates faster than you thought and and you hit on a reliever in free agency and like all of a sudden you're like last year's Red Sox team that was probably had a schedule and really talented and, and had a really good run like yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep Josh Bell around and, and have him in the middle of the lineup with Juan Soto. But if, again, if they're thinking of this as like a five-year process, then maybe in June, it makes sense, you know, if June, July, he's hot, like to flip him for, you know, two to three prospects or a really big name or something. And um, I, I think, I'm not answering your question because I don't I don't quite know how that's going to look, but I can see both ways. And I and what I can say is I think he's sort of the key to understanding the time frame because frankly, nationals have no reason to tell us the time frame because then they're going to be held to it. Right. Right. Like publicly putting out like we're going to win by 2024. Like, OK, now you have to or we're not going to till 2027. OK, now no one's in the ballpark. Like no one's going to come to game. So like I think like we're going to have to read their actions to know what the time frame looks like. And, and to me, he's like the best that, that he's like the best person to do that with. Um, um, so I'm, I'm really interested in like how that looks for him. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, again, it, in my perspective or my uh, desire is to extend him just because he's uh, I think. Uh, it's safe to say he's become kind of a fan favorite, even though he's not like the most uh, vocal guy or whatever, at least to us as, as the fans. But, you know, he's quickly become a fan favorite and, you know, good, good baseball players or, you know, we would like to see them stick around. But obviously uh, I would be remiss if I if I didn't at least ask. I'm sure there's not really much to, to you know, report on, but what are your feelings on a possible Soto extension? I mean, I, I feel like he's going to free agency, but again, I have to ask. No, for sure. I mean, I wish 
both for my newspaper I work for and for you guys that I have more to say about it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we're, we're still a long ways out. Um, we have more Elian soda news than Juan soda news, which is right. a weird place to be in. Um, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's my read, too. Like, I think what I, what I, the sense I get, and this is based on reporting and conversations, but also more of just, like, reading the past behavior of both parties and agent included like is there a number that gets Juan Soto to sign before he goes free agency yes I think there always is are the learners going to put it on a check no I don't think so so I don't know where that leaves it I mean it leaves it that like I think extensions very you know unlikely but um maybe you know maybe the payroll savings during year one two of the rebuild will maybe make that hypothetical number appear like I, I don't and I don't mean that to get anybody's hopes up I don't that's not based on sort of any like actual knowledge but it's more so like maybe that's how the numbers sway but um other than that no I don't have any updates and uh I, I do appreciate the question I I, I think it's going to be one we're going to be talking about for a while let's plan to do this one year from today and we can talk about it <laughs> see, if see if there's anything new I I don't think we'll have anything new next year <laughs> right. maybe two, two years from today <laughs> oh boy so Last question we have for you today. It's a big one. If you had $10 to put down on who's going to win the Super Bowl, who are you saying is going to win the Super Bowl as of today before the divisional round playoffs start? Oh, man. A sport I don't follow. Um, <laughs> Packers are good, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Packers. Um, Packers, I would say. I think. I have, a friend, I have a buddy who covers them, and he speaks very highly of uh, – of, of their chances this year so all right I'll so i'm gonna pass. i'm gonna i'm gonna go put the futures on them if they're wrong we're gonna have a little conversation with your buddy you know where to find me uh, I, can't, I can't escape um but no guys i appreciate you having me on i um and i want to make sure i say I, I really thought you guys did a great job with uh, josiah green and you really listened to it and i learned a lot so that was, that was cool, it's cool to listen to. well yeah, appreciate that yeah, we, we really appreciate the feedback. That that means a lot. Um, we're going to clip that and just play that on every <laughs> single episode. For now. Yeah, if you hear that as our new <laughs> intro, like, just don't be surprised. <laughs> don't be like surprised. The new, like, you are listening. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the voice. It was authentic. It was authentic. <laughs> I wasn't reading a script. I wasn't reading a script. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't have him beforehand to set up. <laughs> Um, Jesse, wanted to thank you for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And there was some pretty good stuff to talk about in the middle of. Yeah, it wasn't all depressing. With... <laughs> yeah, you some, know, some was... of it was depressing, but not all of it. <laughs> all the all the infighting that's going on between the league and the players. Once again, you guys can give Jesse a follow on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse and head on over to WashingtonPost.com to keep up with all of Jesse's latest pieces, as well as everything DC sports. Jesse, thanks so much, man. Have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yep. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later.
By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're fucking curly W's and F. decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.